We're um, going to finish the letter of 1 Peter today, the preaching through it anyway. Hopefully it'll continue to live on. And what you're going to hear today is the same theme that Peter has been working through this letter over the months that we've been in it. Starting out with an account that is extreme for us American Christians, but it'll help make clear how we can stand firm in faith in suffering. Pastor Nijan and four other Christian leaders were arrested in 1982 in the Nuba Mountains, that's in Sudan. Decades later, their bodies still bear the physical effects of the severe torture they suffered while in prison. One of the men had his fingers burned off, and Nijan's left eye was permanently damaged from being repeatedly struck in the face. Pastor Nijan knew God was with him in prison. Every day, he and the other Christians prayed for each other. Nijan was tortured with electric shocks, and he began to forget the scriptures he had studied so diligently. The torture was painful and caused my brain to not function so well, he said. Probably an understatement. But I felt the Lord in my heart. Despite the imprisonment and torture, Nijan has no regrets about his Christian work. God was always with us, Nijan told the workers. And we knew we were doing the right thing by spreading the word of God. When I was taken to prison... I think that many people forgot me or thought I was killed. But even though they thought I was dead, those who were left behind in the church stood firm. And that's a key, key word for us today, standing firm in faith. They continued meeting and worshiping. Pastor Nijan continues to serve faithfully in the Nuba Mountains in Sudan. He and other workers like him have deliberately chosen to stay, knowing that they could pay with their lives if rearrested by government soldiers. We may probably rightly so take comfort in the, in the fact that uh, most of us are not going to encounter that kind of opposition, that kind of suffering for our faith, though we don't take that for granted. But all of us face struggles and suffering. All of us, every single person here has had some amount of suffering in their lives. And so Peter has had a lot to say about how do you have hope in suffering? How do you stand firm in God's grace through faith as you suffer. We don't have to wonder if that's Peter's main point because in verse 12 of chapter 5, we'll go ahead and turn there and read this passage, he tells us, this is why I wrote to you. So in case we missed it, his main point is we're to stand firm in God's grace through faith as we suffer because this leads to glory. There's glory coming. It's totally worth holding fast in faith to Jesus Christ. So turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. We'll read verse 6 to the end of the chapter. 1 Peter 5, verse 6 to the end of the chapter. Peter writes, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, 
the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. So we start out this passage with the the command to humble ourselves. Peter says, humble yourselves, because last week, that's where he ended up in verse 5. Humble yourselves, therefore. Why? Because, as Peter quoted from the Proverbs, and it's a principle that stands to this day, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So the warning last week was, if you don't want God to oppose you, which is always a losing endeavor, humble yourself. And Peter is saying this to a group of Christians who are suffering or facing persecution or at, at best are marginalized and, and excluded from social structures of their society and their day. So this means humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, which means God's power. That means in your suffering, in your struggles, depend upon God's power. Submit yourself to him. And keep doing this for your entire life. That's, that's the trick. Do it for your whole life. Submit yourselves to God's power so that at the proper time he may exalt you. When is that proper time? It's when Jesus returns. When Jesus comes back, you will have been glad that you've lived a life of humbling yourselves under God's powerful hand. The proper time is that day of the fullness of our salvation. It's what we're waiting for, right? I mean, we are waiting for and longing for that day, not just ongoing this life magnified on into forever, but for a glorified Christ-like existence forever and ever. And that's that's what we long for. Peter doesn't leave us to wonder, how do you do this? How do you humble yourself under God's power? What does that look like? Well, he tells us, In verse 7, he says you do it by casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Humbling ourselves under God's mighty hand, under his power, doesn't mean groveling in the dirt, saying I just ain't no good, that kind of thing. It means casting, literally that word means throwing all, everyone without exception of your anxieties upon God. All your anxieties on him. Every anxious thought, every worry you experience, no matter how big or how small, is a a challenge, is a trial of our faith. Are we going to trust God in this or not? So how how we respond reveals our trust or lack of trust in God. Is God capable? Does he have the capacity to help me through the situation about which I'm anxious? That's what we're constantly confronted with every day. And does he care for me? It seems like this would be one of the easiest commands to obey, doesn't it? I mean, we, we don't like our anxieties, do we, or do we? Are we afraid to depart with them because we wouldn't know what to do with ourselves? Our anxieties, our cares, our stresses, why wouldn't we offload them on God? Well, when we don't give our cares and anxieties to God, we are not humbling ourselves. Unfortunately, the opposite of not humbling ourselves is what? Not being humble means I am Proud, that's right. Pride denies the truth about God's care and power. 
Pride says, I've got to do it myself. Pride, pride says, I want to be in control. Oh, yes, God, I'll, if I can just control you to do what I want, then that'll work. So faith in Christ is not just mental assent to facts about, about him. It is a trust from the heart in God's goodness, faithfulness, and power, especially, especially as revealed in Jesus. And the question again is, do you trust him? Do I trust Christ? Do I trust God so that I cast, give to him all of my, my anxieties? So whether being persecuted, as many of Peter's readers were in that day, or perturbed, or picked on, or suffering any other kind of pain or pestilence or sickness, we are to cast all of our anxieties on God. And as I said, that seems like it should be easy, but it's a challenge. Well, Peter goes on and says, here's an additional challenge, why we must do that. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful, because you have an adversary. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. If we don't cast all our anxieties on God, we're sitting ducks for the most notorious of all sitting duck hunters, the devil. And he isn't only in Georgia. That's an old Charlie Daniels song from 1979, just for those of you who... That was not necessary. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, The the opposite of being overwhelmed with cares and anxieties is being sober-minded. Sober-minded, clear-headed. And that comes in handy if you're being hunted, right? I don't know how many of you have ever been hunted by a person, but all of us, if you're a Christian, have been hunted by the devil. And he's real, and we're not going to go into defending that. The Bible just assumes he's real. He's not just a... Uh, the sum of all evil or an impersonal force. He's a real, malevolent, evil being, fallen angel. If your enemy is waiting and watching for you to be in a weakened, confused, depressed, in other words, anxious, or otherwise unstable condition, you can't afford to succumb to your anxieties. You've got to keep a clear head. You've got to be sober-minded. That we are being hunted by the devil is why Peter says, be watchful, be alert, stay awake. You need to be alert so you can defend yourself against being devoured by the devil. Now, he's not seeking to physically eat us like a cannibal, but he is seeking to destroy us by destroying our faith. That's what he's after. He wants your faith to be obliterated. That's the thing he's after. So how do you keep from being victimized and demolished by a guy, an evil angel or a group of them, demons, who live to destroy you, who is smarter than you, stronger than you, and who's also invisible. That's a bad combination, isn't it? Well, verse 9, Peter says, you don't run away, you resist. Resist him, firm in your faith. You oppose him, in other words. You withstand or stand against him. How do you resist or oppose the devil? How do you withstand such powerful, evil beings who strike at you when you're under the influence of anxieties, who study you carefully and closely watch how they can take advantage of you? Well, it's, I'm sorry the answer is so simple, but it's be firm in faith. Be firm in faith. That's the very thing he's trying to cause you to let go of. He wants you to doubt God is good. He wants you to doubt that God is powerful or wise enough to deliver you through your temptation or your suffering. Do you know why lions prowl? You know why they're sneaky? Why they prowl around and sneak? It's because despite their, their speed and their power 
and their teeth and their, their claws, they don't have much stamina. They don't have a lot of endurance. So they're sprinters. They're not long-distance runners. They conserve their energy by prowling until just the right time to attack. But despite the fact that God has allowed Satan to have some freedom to do some damage, the Bible teaches that we cannot last him when he sprints to attack. So Peter says, resist him. Resist. He'll, he'll go away eventually. Firm in your faith. Resist him. Firm in your faith. James says the same thing. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So there's, this isn't a spooky, you know, coming up with incantations or have to say certain phrases and all that. You just resist him in the ways that he tempts and tries to discourage. A devil is a sprinter who leaves, who leaves those who resist him looking for easier prey. It's like those de- demonic devil deer that want to devour your plants, right? You just keep the fence high and they'll go somewhere else. Or the burglar with the dog and alarm, and so you get those examples. So you just, why can we outlast Satan while he's on the hunt? Because Jesus did. It's not because of our own strength. It's because Jesus lived in our shoes and he purchased for us, he lived out for us what it is to overcome Satan's temptations. Now, he did what few of none of us will ever have to do. He fasted for 40 days. And then he was tempted by the devil to turn something into bread. Wow. And other temptations. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So Jesus outlasted the devil, and he definitely outlasted him on the cross, and in his resurrection he defeated him completely. That's why the writer to Hebrews tells us since Jesus was tempted when he, before his death and resurrection, he did not sin, but we can go to him for mercy. He understands what it is to be vulnerable, accessible to the devil as a human being. So, in Christ's strength and the grace that he supplies, resist the devil and you will not be devoured. You are going to seek, when you're suffering, you're going to seek strength, you're going to seek help, you're going to seek pain, relief, and peace in some fashion or another. So is, the question is, is it going to be in Jesus? Or is it going to be something in the world, your own flesh, or the devil? There's only those two realms, world, flesh, and devil, or Jesus for facing temptation. And Peter says, you, you do this knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. When we're suffering or being tempted, one thing that makes it hard is feeling that we're all alone. And no one can know what we're going through. That we're being singled out. We're being targeted. No one else can understand what we're going through. Peter says, resist the devil knowing that Christians around the world and even in your own church fellowship are going through similar sufferings as you are. So today uh, we heard about a sister who's been struggling with sleep. Anybody here struggle with sleep? Yeah? So we need in our community groups in these kinds of settings, one-on-one, you've got to have somebody that you can share your struggle with, and you're going to hear that they also have similar struggles. If you're a pastor or a counselor, you get exposed to a lot of the similar kinds of things. Not that your situation doesn't have unique things with it, but you get exposed to a lot of us have similar struggles. And so you're not alone. And so that's helpful to know that. So like soldiers whose morale is strengthened by knowing that the whole army is engaged in the same battle hardships they are in, Christians should be strengthened to to resist the devil and not to give up their faith in suffering or persecution by the knowledge that they are not alone. So 
That is another reason Christians should remain firm in faith when suffering, because it's not an encouragement. When we falter, when we cave in, when we turn our back on our faith, when we give in to sin and turn our back on our faith, we're not an encouragement to our brothers and sisters around us. So our obedience is not just for ourselves. It is for others as well. Well, Peter says there's really great news in this battle. If you hang in there, you persevere in faith. He says, the God of grace who called you to glory in Christ, this is in verse 10, will confirm you after you suffer. So Peter calls God the God of all grace who called you to eternal glory in Christ. God is full of grace and freely gives us grace to those who do not deserve it. And what purpose and effect does this grace have for us? Peter says, he calls us to himself. He calls us to himself and it overcomes our spiritual deadness our spiritual deafness, our rebellion, and he frees our hearts to respond to his calling us to himself. So his grace is so effective and powerful that Peter says that God didn't call us to a probationary status to see if we can hang in there. God called us to eternal glory in Christ. It's like from spiritual death to eternal glory. That's how powerful his grace calling is of us, calling us to himself, ensuring that we will make it to glory. That's the encouragement we need. It's a grace-loaded call that Christ ensures we will finally be glorified in Christ. And Peter says, after you've suffered a little while, uh, Johnny Erickson Tata, who has been a quadriplegic for 40 years due to a diving accident, who also in recent years has been enduring chronic searing pain, says of this phrase, after you've suffered a little while, the Bible makes it sound as if those years of anguish are but a blink of an eye. Doesn't God know how interminable, how unending, how much time can feel in a, how, much, how long it can feel in a wheelchair? Isn't he aware of how endless a sleepless night shot through a searing pain can seem? And she concludes, actually he is, because Christ was in our shoes. Christ was in the flesh. He knows what it is to be limited in time and in pain. So this little while that Peter is talking about is actually the little while of this life. This little while, suffering for a little while, is another word for this life. Uh, Peter spoke of this in, in verse 6 of chapter 1, saying that for a little while you've been grieved with various trials. Or Paul in 2 Corinthians 4.17 said, This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. The contrast is between the little while of this life and the eternal glory that we have coming. God will complete what he started when he first called us by his grace. Our sufferings are intense, but God's grace is greater still. God's grace will win. And far from being an interference with God's promised glory for us, he will, by his powerful grace in Christ, restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us. In fact, we are already experiencing the first beams of the radiance of that glory. Just as this, the eastern sky is fully brightened before you see the sun, so the first beams of being made by God to, to be restored, to be confirmed, to be strengthened, are shining in our lives. Now, you know that persevering and suffering has good results, right? I mean, you know you suffer through school to get the degree, to get the job. You know you suffer as an athlete in training in order to be good at your sport. 
you know you suffer at fishing because it's so boring and no I'm not to catch the fish you know that you suffer musical discipline to, to be a, an accomplished musician and so on we know that in everyday life God just takes that and says by grace I am ensuring that you will make it to glory and that is understanding that faith is how you cling on to God by his grace And so that's what causes Peter, in verse 11, to just launch off into this praise, this great promise that God's powerful grace in Christ will surely bring us all the way to glory. He has called us to in Christ, leads Peter to say, to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So this word for dominion means God's sovereign ruling power. Um, Peter's praise word, that's an old big word, doxology, word of praise, is a declaration of a longing, a prayer that all creation will one day forever see and acknowledge that God's sovereign power accomplishes all his good pleasure, including overcoming the suffering and trials of his people for Christ's glory and bringing them to glory. Well, this brings us to verse 12, and we'll uh, land on here. Uh, Verse 12, Peter talks about a guy named Silvanus who delivered the letter for Peter, a faithful brother, Um, And then Peter says this is what he's been doing in this letter is this, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. This is the true grace of God. What is this that he's talking about? This is the whole theme of the letter. And that is because Christ suffered on the cross, then was exalted to glory, so will those who believe in him be exalted to glory after suffering. This is what Peter's been saying. Because Christ suffered, suffered on the cross, then was exalted to glory, so will those who believe in him be exalted to glory after suffering. Peter says this is the true grace of God. The theme of Christ's suffering for us, leading to his glory and glory for us, is grace because Christ died for our sins. We'll celebrate that. We take the Lord's Supper here in just a couple of minutes. Christ died for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Whoever does that, he is perfectly righteous. He exchanges our sin for his righteousness and gives us his righteousness as a free gift and grants to us the glory he deserved. He had glory before he came to this earth. He had perfect glory. He didn't have to come down as a human, but he stooped down as the servant of the Lord to redeem us. And he laid aside that glory and he accomplished another glory by perfectly obeying as a a human being, perfectly carrying out the Father's will. And he deserved that glory. We didn't. But it's his grace that he grants us the very glory that he has. So it's grace that he saves us, grace that he rescues us from our sins, grace that we'll end up being glorified, meaning we'll be like Christ. And at the same time, even though... All of that is the grace of God. Completely, There's not any point that our merit, that our deserving, it enters into the equation at all, even though it's purely and merely the grace of Christ. Yet Peter says, stand firm in it. That is this true grace of God. Yes, God's grace has drawn us, grasped us in Christ, birthed eternal life in us through Christ, and will complete the work God began in us. At the same time, you must stand firm in the grace of God. The grace by which God saves us is not merely a passive grace. It's not just this passive thing out there. Grace keeps us 
God keeps us in his grace by giving us Bible passages like this that say it's all of grace, but you must stand firm in it. Uh, In other words, faith is not just an empty receptacle that you put stuff in. Uh, Faith is a desperately clinging in hope-filled trust to God. Faith is desperately clinging in hope-filled trust to God because we recognize it's only by His grace. We cling to Him who is the source and the accomplisher and the provider of of grace. Uh, Johnny Erickson Tata, who I mentioned a few minutes ago, who's in daily horrible pain, can't sleep at night. The only uh, comfort she gets at night is if she wakes her husband up and he turns her over and she still hurts. Suffered searing, horrible, debilitating pain for the past couple of years. She says, in my pain, I recognize that moment by moment, I trust, breath by breath, I trust, heartbeat by heartbeat, I trust in God, God's goodness to me and his sustaining me. She would love to be healed any moment, just like I would from Parkinson's. But until God does that, you endure, you put trust in him. Because his promises are good. Uh, Paul said similarly in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 15. He, he says, I would remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. You stand in the gospel by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you. So you hold fast to your only hope, right? That's what faith is. That's what it means to stand firm. Not like, I'm so strong, I'm standing firm in faith. It is, I'm so weak, I can't, that's my only hope, is Jesus. Faith, clinging to Him. So God purifies our faith through trials and suffering for our eternal glory and good, even when it doesn't feel like it. And a lot of times, it does not feel like it. I can say, it does not feel like it. But do we believe it? We believe that by faith, because we have God's testimony through Christ. Do you and I believe it, that the suffering, the trials that we are going through, God is working in that for our good and for our glory and for His glory? Well, I'll I'll close with this example of grass. Want to hear about grass? Not the kind you smoke. Resilience in the midst of trials, grass is one of the most resilient plants in the world. In the dry, open plains, lightning can strike the grass during a storm, ignite a flash fire. The flames sprint over thousands of feet of flat landscape, tragically outpacing fleeing animals and burning the grass to a black crisp. The grass at first appears annihilated, but it soon grows back out, out of the ashes. It can do this because the, the roots are beneath the surface of the ground, safe from the flames. So what will make you resilient when fiery tri- trials flash up around you? Our natural instinct is to do anything that we can do, anything else but, but trust in Christ. Uh, we try to outrun the flames, but that ends in disaster. What we need is faith, a faith that goes below the surface, firmly rooted deep in our heart. Yeah, we might get burnt a bit on the outside, but ultimately God will use it to grow us in new ways. Whether it's the pink slip at work, the spouse who wants out of the marriage, the bad report from the doctor, getting used to being a quadriplegic who now has daily chronic pain, 
the alienation and rejection you're facing in your family, school or work because you're a Christian, the hardship you're enduring upholding Christian principles and integrity in your workplace, the challenges of raising your children for the Lord, or being a Christian wife honoring her husband, especially if you're my wife, a Christian husband loving your wife, challenges of being single, of family strife and conflict, the hardships of your ministry, grieving the death of a loved one. We are to stand firm in faith and trust in Christ. It will be eternally worth it.